Hello, welcome to another Diminishing Returns. Uh, this week we're we're coming up to Halloween, doing lots of spooky stuff, and there's a new Suspiria remake on the way, so we're looking at uh, seminal, giallo, Italian horror thriller thing, Suspiria. Mm. Uh, with me as ever is Mr. Alan Turing. Buongiorno. Uh, doing doing <laughs> Italian there. And, and we're joined this week by... Uh, Sophie Harris. Yeah, hi. Hello. No relation. Uh, oh wait, yeah. It is. <laughs> <laughs> another another bit of nepotism. <laughs> and Sophie, you've you've brought your violinist along, David. Also a film scorer. Hello. Oh wait, we were supposed Hello. to bring our violinist along. No one told me. I could have. <laughs> Sorry, you can bring your sex <laughs> Oh god. All right. <laughs> um. But yeah, Suspiria is it's a really interesting one. I'm glad we're looking at it. I'm glad this remake's come out to kind of give us the kick up the ass mm. to do it. Uh, I think this might be, if not the most visually, aesthetically beautiful film I've ever seen. Uh, <laughs> certainly, like, one of the top five. Mm. But I hate it. <laughs> that's because I find it incredibly boring and the story doesn't work <laughs> and I wish I liked it more because I, I love how it looks and sounds um, Well, may, may, Alan, may I go next because I'm going to back yeah. you up on most of that <laughs> um, <laughs> just to give a bit of background I'm not good with I'm not particularly up on horror films uh, particularly I'm not particularly big, big up on Italian cinema either so Dario Argento is a bit of an unknown quantity to me but obviously I'm aware of the film and its reputation etc etc never watched it before so Having just seen it, oh, okay. yeah, I will agree. I thought it was some very visually interesting cinematic stuff, but no, no effort to make any kind of sensible plot <laughs> or interesting characters or proper actors. And that sort of thing does bother me. <laughs> so so just as a general thing there, I think I agree with you uh, to a large extent. Can I say Offer a rebuttal. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Basically. I'm I'm hoping you guys are gonna like it because yeah. it's nice to have people who can yeah, you know, I mean... stick up for the films <laughs> we've Yeah. I think that visually, aesthetically, like obviously it's amazing. I think that's what people are mm. like mainly drawn to. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. I think on like a first watch I was definitely a bit confused about how like kitsch it is. <laughs> the characters mm. are just super not padded out. They're very uh one dimensional. But I think in like a lot of ways, that's kind of what makes it really good. I don't know. I'm really interested in like the 70s. They're interested in the occult. They're interested in like undermining stuff that's come before them to make a point about the world at the time. And I think that they really like undermine that like Disney-esque very... I mean, they use a lot of like primary colours, that fairy tale, like undermining of that. And I think it's like a critique on that in some ways. That almost sounds... uh, Just before we started recording, I was talking about going to see Venom the other day Hmm. and how much I loved it, even though it was shit. And how... (laughs) Yeah. I kind yeah. of like I kind of enjoyed how shit it was that almost made it more enjoyable for yeah, me. Yeah, it's like bizarre, um, yeah. And I yeah, it, it almost sounds like you're getting a similar thing out of it there with like certainly with the characters being a bit thin and stuff. It, it would that be fair? I, I don't know. Yeah. It, it sounds kind of like you're I don't know. I think embracing the camp of it almost. Yeah, there. I think the difference is it was purposefully done. So yeah, you're you're suggesting they made it shit as a subversive act. <laughs> yeah. I wish. Shit. Do you know what? Do you know what? I <laughs> coming out of the film, I was trying to give as much benefit of the doubt as possible. I was thinking along those lines. But bear in mind, mm. I have also watched uh, Inferno and Mother of Tears by Dario Gitta, <laughs> okay. and I'm not convinced. I haven't that, watched those. I'm not convinced, <laughs> but I think he's just shit. <laughs> well, I, no, you know, I think Dario Argento. I think he's a remarkably um, talented guy in some re- some respects. I, I've seen a few of his films, uh, including those. Well, these three. Yeah, I, I don't know if he's got much in the way of story and, and characters in him, but I, I'd say he's one of the most visually interesting directors ever. And you know, that's that's worth something. You know, he's a real I think, auteur. I think, worth, he's... I think that's worth a lot, personally. Um, I think to go into a film like Suspiria and to start talking about plot is already kind of missing the point a little bit. In fact, I would argue that a film like Suspiria would be worse if it had more focus on plot because it's not really a film 
to me that's about plot and it's kind of it's using a lot of tropes it's used deliberately using a lot of tropic visual filmic language um and it's using that as a kind of vehicle to give us these very very kaleidoscopic and at times very very experimental uh mm. visual scenes um so I, I kind of i see i actually see suspiria in a kind of a similar way to how i see uh, a lot of david lynch films for instance where you, you, know, you can't really go into something like Mulholland Drive and say the plot didn't make any sense because <laughs> I <do>. kind of <laughs> well you can but if you do that you're sort of missing the point because yeah. if if you if you went to a film like Mulholland Drive and said the plot made sense I'm sure David Lynch would be very upset with you for saying that because he doesn't want a plot that makes sense a plot that makes sense is uh, sort of antithetical to what he's trying to do with the film or to mm. you know what he's trying to give you as a kind of gift with the film and i think suspiria is a film that is i see it as a gift i really like it um yeah it's visually nice but it's more than that i don't i don't like the idea that you can kind of say it's deliberately bad but i think it's deliberately exploiting a lot of tropes of horror films and tropes Mm. certainly of of giallo films i mean every every argento film i've seen has been cut from this cloth certainly what he's directed mm. himself um and it, you know it's not just visually it's the full-on it's the whole mise-en-scene aesthetic it's the you know the music of course is a huge part yeah, of yeah. it it's it's all of it well this is i think partly my problem with it and i do have a same a similar kind of problem with lynch actually that the way i f- i am focused i'm i'm really plot character driven and mm-hmm. and we've talked about this on the on the show before and that's obviously there's a big element of personal taste there and so it yeah, does yeah. stop me from connecting with such things like this and music i never really connect with music very well um so this is good to have someone else with a completely different point of view because i really struggle to connect with stuff like this and i can appreciate it as a, as a piece of art but from a film point of view, I, I feel like there's something else that I want from it. Yeah. But fair enough, film covers a lot of the different things. Isn't it? Yeah, and, and if you watch some of his stuff um, where he hasn't directed it, so, for example, he wrote, uh, I think he produced as well, a couple of films called Demons, which are these really low-grade, like, shitty Italian horror films from the 80s. Again, there's there's some really incredible visual stuff in there, some really mm. nice dreamlike stuff, but it ultimately is just a a silly zombie movie where demon things come out of the cinema screen and attack people in a cinema. And the preview you are about to watch is for a movie that is unlike any you have ever seen before. It is for a movie that goes beyond temporary fear to everlasting terror. It is a movie called Demons. Yes, the demons are coming, and they're coming for you. Warning, if you have the courage to see demons, sit near an exit. Otherwise, you might never get out. Like, it is absolute nonsense, and it's not trying to be anything more than that. But it's interesting because that's... I think that is Dario Argento with him taken out of the picture as the director, you know? So you can kind of see, oh, it is just trashy and exploitative. So he obviously is bringing a a certain class to the proceedings when he's uh, actually behind the camera himself. It would be interesting to know, like, whether he means to have a point behind, is it intentional that the characters aren't padded through? Like, is it intentional that the plot, doesn't make much sense and like from my perspective is is that it 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 is intentional i think i you know read a lot of literature from that era as well and i think that like it was a big trend yeah Yeah. that chaotic interest in you know occultism like occultism itself Mm. is very chaotic you know the dream like the unconscious things about like Mm. freud you can bring in there's so many things that you can talk about in relation to this film about like point that he's trying to make but again it's a question of whether that's intentional like you can say that about anything really i don't i I don't think it even matters if it's intentional if dario argento was trying to make a a, you know a sophisticated plot driven character driven driven film and failed terribly that doesn't really have any bearing on the film for me because it being intentional or not it doesn't Mm. matter the fact is it works for me the way that it is regardless of if it was accidental or if it was deliberate or if it was intentional i think Uh, i don't know about that i think it would definitely affect the way i received it in, in its intent, 
in the same way that I can watch Tommy Wiseau's The Room and <laughs> what I get out of it is not necessarily what he intended, but a, a, a showing of his subconscious and I can get something more out of that. But you're bringing that. It's you that's bringing that expectation of what the author is trying to do. It is ultimately coming from you because it's nev- you can never really get anywhere close to understanding what another person is thinking or feeling or intending. To be honest, I don't even know if anyone can say for sure what they themselves are intending or feeling or doing deliberately or doing subconsciously or anything like that. So when you go into a film and you start talking about the director's intention, what you're really talking about is your own expectation of what you think their intention was. I I, Uh, I, I agree you can take things out that others wouldn't, but... I think most people who are creating art have an intent and are yeah. putting that out. And the ultimate idea is that people will understand it. And people and some artists may deliberately obscure it even. But mm. I think most people do set out with an intent and want that to be for seen sure. as yeah. the author's intent. And for sure. And I think it's, it's you know, it, it can massively improve or subtract from my reading of a film when I know what was intended. I, I've i seen things like uh, It Follows, we, we discussed yeah. on, on this podcast a while back, and my big issue was the f- with the film was similar to this. It just didn't kind of hold up to any sort of con- uh, coherency. It was just kind of all over the place. The rules mm. of the film didn't make sense, and Alan defended it saying it, it was dreamlike and a metaphor, but then I you know, went and listened to the director talking about it and he was talking about, yeah, I think the demon could get on a bus maybe or, it, you know, all these rules of it. And I don't know, it just really took yeah. away from this ethereal way of reading it that he was thinking about it in, in these terms. And- I don't know where Argento stands, but I think the fact that, you know, he uses a lot of intertextual things, you know, the whole thing is based on like Thomas de Quincey. It's very like highbrow. There's a lot of symbolism mm. in it. He was I, I think this might be part of my problem people. with it is yeah. that I, I kind of came to Argento as, oh, he's one of George A. Romero's mates, and he, right. you know, he he produced the Italian cut of Dawn of the Dead and brought Goblin in to do the soundtrack and everything. So I've kind of come to him through arguably lowbrow um, mm. zombie movies. So, you know, I yeah. make an argument for Dawn of the Dead as, as proper art, but, but um, I've seen a hell of a lot of Italian horror from the 70s and the 80s, but it's, yeah. it is largely complete schlock. So yeah, not just schlock, but very much a product. Uh, Italian horror of the 70s and 80s particularly was you know, real businessmen, opportunistic businessmen who were buying up films, making unofficial sequels to films because of Italian uh, law basically meant you could make a film called, well, you know, Dawn of the Dead, for example, Zombie 2. It was released in Mm. Italy. It was released in Italy as Zombie, so a load of people made Zombie 2, Zombie 3, Zombie 4, nothing to do with the film, just to cash in on it. You know, like, the the kitschness of this film, like, could be Mm. a comment on that in a way as well. You know, I think that brings it down from being highbrow. If anyone hasn't seen Suspiria who's listening to this, um, I mean, what what is the plot? It's kind of a... There's this boarding school of, of witches. It's a ballet school, I think. <laughs> well, ballet. I find ballet schools is already quite a culty, culty sort of <laughs> setting for a. And for there's a always film. like a matriarchal figure there. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which really plays into these very kind of very very old fashioned ideas of suspicion around sort of mm. matriarchal figures. It kind of you know, it really goes back a long way, and I guess just sort of coming back to the the disappointment that you said you were feeling with this film i actually kind of agree um because every time i watch the film i always find my find the final confrontation of the Mm. film to be a kind of a red herring or just kind of a, a false a false end it I always feel like the film is constantly building, constantly building, constantly leading up to the reveal of what it is that's inside this labyrinth. And ultimately, it's it's kind of, you get this confrontation and then it's over in, in half a minute and then mm. the film ends. And I kind of, I, I wanted to see more, I wanted to see... I wanted to see more weird shit, you know, like yeah. I wanted to see just I, more, it, more of the maggots, more of the maggots <laughs> falling out of the ceiling, and just things that make absolutely no sense. Yeah, it's a really odd finale as well. In the watching it again, it it, it just kind of it reminded me of a video game boss because yeah. she ultimately defeats it by figuring out the timing and yeah. then yeah. stabbing it at the right exact yeah. moment, which is a, it's not like a character journey so much as a... She, she even has that like <laughs> white silhouette, you yeah. know, like in like yeah. some kind of video game, like flashing. Mm, yeah. It's like that. And like... It, yeah. And it's, it's a nice little 
moment, I think. It's quite inventive, but it does just feel like, oh, that's kind of... A bit too easy, really, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's not just the um cinematography though the the aesthetics it it goes right the way through the production design i think the the buildings the art design the the mm-hmm. locations are all incredible to look at they're almost like mc escher paintings yeah. oh i thought so as well yeah mm. um the the scene i think for me is the most like striking is when the blind man with his seeing eye dog the seeing eye dog attacks him, um, but he's yeah. in that incredible square that's like uh, surrounded mm. by like neoclassical yeah. buildings, and it it really brings you back to like very power. It's a very powerful place. Like it's very stark, black and white. It's like really contrasting the yeah. red that's been like throughout the film. It's that was a really um, for me like significant part of the film um, mm. in terms of aesthetic. Oh no, absolutely! I I've always every time I've watched this film, I've kind of checked out by that scene. But then that scene always <laughs> wakes me up and kind of yeah, grabs me, yeah. and pulls me back into <laughs> yeah. it. Really makes you think about psychogeography, and it's basically mm. like linking like the area that you're in to like um, the history of that area and making yeah, it right. inform the way you look at that area. Yeah. And I think that those neoclassical buildings, like in Germany, with this German shepherd, like you can't help mm. but think about you know of Nazism and like. You know, that yeah, side that, that of scene particularly. the history of Germany. Yeah, I would definitely say that scene's intentionally invoking Nazism for whatever reason. Um, cause, yeah, I'm yeah, not really yeah, sure I think just why, the... but I yeah, think... Yeah, no, I, I, I get that, though. Every time I've watched it, it's kind of made me think... You know, oh, dragging yeah. up the histories mm. of, of, you know, dragging up the occult history, dragging up... It's like this uncanny, like, contrasting well, that's it the point, with actually, modern... That's the Nazis were. The modern, all, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's occult. a thing, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I've made the note here. I, I think my best attempt to to explain what uh, Giallo is, aesthetically speaking, I think it's just a lack of visual subtlety. I kind of love it for that. I, I, I realise I don't like... <laughs> That's not fair, though. No, I, I do like subtlety, but I, I've got a real respect for things when they are just brash and mm. over the top and, and willing to embrace that. And Well, the, th- the thing that I've, I find about the lighting, especially, is that it's mm. Not only is it just primary colours, but it's also very, very explicitly theatrical. Mm. Oh um, yeah, definitely. It, it looks yeah. like a like a theatre stage. It doesn't look like a film stage. It looks like we're watching a play a lot of Especially the time. Especially when they're in bed, you know, after the maggots. Yeah. I really yeah, I really felt that. And yeah. there's there's no attempt to hide the fact that there's a lamp behind this, this <laughs> yeah. that, that, you know, you can see where it's coming from <laughs> and they're not trying to hide it. And from that it's, it's almost like an invitation to sort of watch this as uh, a piece of filmmaking as opposed to to necessarily get sort of uh, immersed in the story or anything like that. Yeah, that's... I mean, for me, it took me back to German expressionism is pretty obvious uh, yeah. route there. Yeah. But it is something that was largely lost. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that. That's a really good shout, actually, thinking about it. Of course it is, yeah. When sound cinema came in, there was a lot of metaphor in film lost uh, and it became mm. much more realism. And yeah. I'm saying this as someone who really likes realism, so, you know, I can still appreciate <laughs> <laughs> silent movies for, for different reasons. And this really harks back to that for me. And, and I, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think that's an unconscious thing. That's obviously there. Yeah, I, I think the main thing is distorting senses as well. I was definitely very aware of how loud things were. Mm. The soundtrack was extremely loud, so the quiet bits were extremely quiet. But I mean, there there was a scene that really jumped out at me this time. That the first real overt horror moment in the film, I suppose, mm. where again, completely lacking in any subtlety, uh, the woman uh, looks out of the window and yeah. sees these animal eyes in the darkness, yeah. and then this hand just bursts from nothing, from the shadows, yeah. <laughs> grabs her. It, it's this really quite horrific but nightmarish. It, it's not. I, like, I've seen a lot of slasher films, uh, mostly thanks to my friend Calvin, who used to do this show. Um, and I'm not a massive fan of the genre, but they, you know, they either go for silly and campy mm. comic slasher type stuff, or they go for just horrifically realistic gore, mm. unpleasant stuff. And and this was. This was something that I haven't really seen before. It was that same kind of stuff, but done with that kind of, oh, we're actually trying to make horror here. This is the kind yeah. of, you know, imagery that's going to stay with you. Yeah. 
um, yeah. that might haunt you. You know, it's it's horrific with her having her face pushed up against the window and then sort of pushed yeah. through this glass and. And it's a horribly hairy arm as well. I it really is. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a big shock film. Like I don't feel like I get, I don't jump or anything. I don't feel like it's like it's shocking in like how gory it is. But I don't think that it's like shocking yeah. in the sense of like making you jump. And I think that's like mm. purposefully done. I I feel like it's slowly. It's like a. It's like a slow peak. Mm, yeah, I, I forgot how gory it was as well, actually. I I don't know, I, I kind of remember it being on par with those old Hammer Horror films and that, yeah, you know, you, you yeah, get yeah. a lot of bright, bright red blood, but I don't know, I found it quite shocking when they, for example, ripped open the that woman's rib cage and started stabbing her heart and yeah. all these sorts of things. It, and, you know, that, that's the sort of stuff you got in these Italian horror films from that era, I, I was watching this, yeah, there's a lot of gore, but I wasn't thinking about, oh my God, that's gory, because there's a sort of unrealistic sense to it. Obviously, the bright mm. colours and all that. I was, blood this, is like not blood. Yeah, yeah and so. it, this felt to me like, that felt to me like a deliberate like, subversion of gore and like saying, okay, you want ridiculous gore? Here's some ridiculous, in, in the kind of, mm. same way the Evil yeah, Dead does, I mean, for example. Like well, that kind of the, ridiculousness the same, of it. Yeah. The same's very true of Dawn of the Dead, um, which has ridiculous colours, and a lot of that is down to makeup not looking right on camera when they <laughs> after they filmed it and stuff. But um, I know the bright, bright, vibrant red blood was um, intentionally part of uh, an attempt to make the film feel fantastical and, and like a comic book, uh, was what George Romero always used to say, which... I, I think it's quite similar, really, to what this is, because you know that that's the American Jello yeah. paperback. It's comic mm. books. It's it's that kind of pulp, you know, yeah, yeah. cheap print media, isn't it? So I, I think they were kind of approaching these from the same sort yeah. of place, but just different cultural uh, outlooks. All, all I've got left to talk about really is the music. Have you guys got anything mm. else to say before we move on to that? Or are we going to talk about the music? Can I just sort of throw my thing in because yeah i feel like i'm not gonna have a lot to say about this it's just not my area at all so i'm gonna say what i think and then you can go ahead and tell me why i'm wrong yeah <laughs> so the, the the soundtrack here is very overt and i found it distracting at times i found it overscored i i know it's deliberate but i didn't particularly like it yeah, I, I, that is something I would say Goblin are quite guilty of in pretty much every film of theirs <laughs> I, I've seen. And even Dawn of the Dead, where they've got, you know, an American sensibility mm. calling the shots. It, it, there's some really full-on bits of music that just take you completely out of the film. Mm. And I, I do think that's intentional here. I, I don't know if it always is. I, I don't know if it ever was in Dawn of the Dead, but... Um, I, I think they made the soundtrack first, yeah. actually, mm. like before oh, really? the film. Yeah, and like I think that he would play it on set. I know right. that Argento brought in a synth and was like, <laughs> "We want to put this in," but he was like, "You need to make this weirder. Like, you need yeah. to put and make it. I think more modern because I think a lot of the yeah, film right. is obviously combining like the occult and like mm. the old world with like yeah. really modern like Art Deco stuff." I, I don't think they really used synths in, in soundtracks in, then. They did, they they really? did, but only in really cheesy sci-fi. Yeah. 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 And, and yeah, thinking about it, I mean, I, I love this this sound that sort of late 70s, 80s horror movies had, which is very synth-heavy uh, for the yeah. most part. What we really need to do is create a powerful sense of dread. See, the longer the note, the more dread. And... Yeah, thinking about it, I think this is the earliest example of that I can really think of. Dawn of the Dead had loads of it, but that was the following yeah. year. Uh, most examples yeah. that come to mind were the 80s. Yeah, I, I, I really like what they did here. I, I think the main theme is mm. the most notable bit of music in the film, with the, the sort of la, 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 in the background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But it, again, it's, it's really creepy, and it is very overt, and again it's so over the top that it, it kind of does take you out of the film whenever it kicks in and yeah you hear this person shouting witch yeah. <laughs> a lot of yeah. people a lot of people actually draw like comparisons to harry potter and oh, like yeah 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 and when you yeah. listen to oh, it oh i like... never thought of that that's yeah. a really good point <laughs> oh my god they're really similar i can't believe i hadn't they're really similar that's 
Yeah. I think what what makes this soundtrack for me really interesting is um, obviously by this point it was fairly common to have sort of bands doing film soundtracks, but it's in this case it's it's a soundtrack that's so eclectic. You know, if you didn't know it was done by a band, you wouldn't assume it was done by a band because you've got mm, no, you've got, no. you got Celeste, you've got so a Greek bazooki, you've got um, yeah. you've got the Moog synthesizer, you've got people running around whispering witch into my you know <laughs> the music for for suspiria is very much for me a kind of the, the other side of the coin to the lighting right so the lighting is is always obvious that it's a lamp stuck behind a, a chair or whatever like you're <laughs> never allowed to forget that the light the lighting is artificial in the same way the music is the kind of sonic counterpart to that yeah you're never allowed to forget that it's a soundtrack you're never allowed to kind of i mean nowadays it's it's common to have this approach to film scoring where the score should be felt and not heard it should be sort of subconsciously yeah, felt. I, I've, I've never I've never here. quite agreed with that I've always no I, d- I don't it. agree with that and, and and the reason why I love this soundtrack is because it's something that you can't just feel it's something you have to hear it's like mm. the, the, the maggots are what they are because they sound the way they sound. Yeah, they sound yeah. like this weird fucking repetitious spiral <laughs> of of mania. You know, it just goes round and round and round and round and round. Yeah, I mean that, that's something Goblin do a lot of actually in their soundtracks. Is they mm. and I mean it's not unique to them, but they they do seem very good at, at creating bits of music for certain scenes that's actually quite unpleasant to listen to it's mm. it's not a particularly nice experience um yeah but, but it, it, it works as a complement to that scene it it's proper film scoring and that it's yeah, yeah. Mm. and in a way that kind of goes all the way back to um psycho i mean the music to psycho is similarly yeah. repetitious and, and obsessive mm. and and it's got this quality of just spiraling itself out of control yeah um but I think especially with the use of synthesizers in Suspiria, I I kind of can't help but feel like a lot of what we get from John Carpenter, you know, a few years later mm-hmm. is not... Well, yeah, I was just about to say, I found it really interesting that you guys have pointed out that this was kind of a pioneering film musically. Mm. I never really thought about it that way, but I, I guess it was. And the more I think about it, the more I feel like this and John Carpenter kind of... Mm set the tone for horror movie yeah. music for yeah. the next, you know, 20, 30 years, really. I, I, yeah. I, I think, I can't think of many other influences on the genres, you know, what you think of when you think of horror music. When was this in relation to, say, The Exorcist or The Omen, something like that? Yeah, I think it was quite early 70s, The Exorcist. I, I always forget about The Exorcist as a an early nubbin of that kind of extreme horror. I mean, The Exorcist is not really a film where the soundtrack is... The soundtrack exists kind of separately from the film in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, Whereas yeah. with it's a main yeah. theme, Suspiria, really, you can't than... you know you can't hear the maggots music without seeing the maggots. It's yeah, it's a lot yeah. more kind of uh, multi sensory in that way. Yeah, and and the omens just a completely different thing musically. I mean, it, you yeah. know, it's great and it's had a huge, huge influence on a very specific subgenre of horror. Mm. Uh, Mother of Tears, the third one of these films, even took a lot of influence oh, from it musically, yeah. but. Um, it's kind of its own thing, I'd say. Uh, Alan, what 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 do you give this one out of ten? Uh, well, it's been really interesting you're, listening. You're to... going to be really harsh. No, I don't think so. I mean, <laughs> it's been very interesting listening to you guys talk about this, and this is definitely not my taste in film, and that affects my judgment of it, obviously. But at the same time, I do appreciate some of the the elements here. I gave it a six out of ten. Oh wow! Which, uh, considering what I like in films, is quite a good score, I think, <laughs> because everything that I like in films is not in this. That's a very positive score from you, yeah. <laughs> uh, particularly as I'm only giving it a five. <laughs> so <laughs> I've been singing a lot of its praises, but I yeah, I just I just. I just get bored when I watch it. As much as I love aspects of it, <laughs> I, I would rate certain scenes like, you know, 9, 10 out of 10, but as, as a coherent whole, it doesn't... But I feel bad giving it a 5, so I'm hoping you you two will, will be able to watch the score. <laughs> what, what would you give it? David, Sophie? you go first. Or David? I'd probably give it 
just because of the final confrontation, which I always find disappointing, I'm going to give it a seven. Okay, fair enough. But yeah. I'd, I would, I would otherwise, it would otherwise be eight. I think. <laughs> I think I'm going to go with a seven and a half. <laughs> um, we don't do halves. It's a it's a thing. We, we've oh, really? Am I not allowed? <laughs> no. Oh, you, you can if you want. I I say round it up to an I'm eight. Pull the score up a little bit. Yeah, seven point five six. No, don't, because this is going to open the door to Soul to just do sevens for everything. Um, okay. <laughs> seven point seven seven. Personally, yeah, it's actually I really like this kind of film. I really mm. like films that have a, a really not obvious meaning. I really like mm. interpreting things. I really like analyzing things so i feel like yeah it's, it's a good film for me i really like it that's that's cool that's quite a polarizing one of the most yeah. polarizing like set of scores we've had i think um on here cool. so that's quite interesting but but yeah i i didn't know until very very recently that they made sequels to this film i always thought it was a standalone thing but no apparently it was a surprisingly successful film for i think 20th century fox when they mm. released it in the states and they they were quite keen to get another one going so 3 years later we got uh, inferno i've never seen the next one so i've not i've not seen any of the sequels so i don't yeah. I, I, I don't know I only saw them for the first time last night, yesterday. <laughs> mad, yeah, me too. Mad scramble to watch them in time for this, yeah. Oh, yeah I, I had no idea they existed until a few weeks ago. It, and, and when I read about them, I thought, oh, they must just be like spiritual sequels. But no, they're, 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 yeah. they're like set in the same continuity. The third one refers back to, you know, characters and so on. Uh, yeah, so Inferno, well, it's in English for a start. It's far more American mm. um, from the get-go. And it, it feels bizarrely different from the get-go. Mm. Um, I, I kind of as it got going, I kind of began to warm to it. It began to feel more cut from the same cloth, but I found it very jarring initially. There's there's something about the sets that were much... It was more unreal, but not in a kind of subversive, surreal way, yeah, just in just a kind in a cheap, of cheap just way. Felt cheap. Yeah. yeah, like, oh, we've built this corridor here, we've built it, And the lighting, whereas in the first film, it's like all this evocative light, well, as we were talking about. In this film, it's like, look, we need a fill light on this back wall. <laughs> Should we make it red? Yeah. It felt a bit more like that. It just felt so well, little. This is it. Less and, and... thought through. It felt like someone who'd seen Suspiria and said, look, we need a sequel to this. Can you do this? Yeah, I can do that. With no yeah. thought behind it. Yeah. And mm. that kind of made me feel like, oh, Suspiria did have more thought behind it because that worked. Or was that just an accident? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I had a really weird thing because I, I basically went into it thinking, yeah, this, this just feels horrible and cheap and like everything that made Suspiria work is kind of done badly here and not working. Mm. But then, like I say, as it as it went on, it, it, it started to come together for me a bit. I thought there was some really nice cinematography and some really lovely lighting and colours after a while, and the music, which uh, isn't Goblin this time, it's um, it's a prog rock guy, Keith Emerson, I think he's called. Oh well, no, yeah, I mean he loves him. That's why I think that's why he brought the synth in the first film. Loves prog rock. The mm. part, parts of the score of this film, and the, there was a couple of scenes in particular that jumped out at me where it it felt like. Um, you know, when, you know when they made silent movies and they'd have a pe- an accompanist pianist playing yeah. music? Yeah. Like, very rarely was that especially made for the film. It was just like, okay, I've got a book of music here. Where's yeah, the yeah, suspense yeah. music? This is the exactly. danger yeah. music. Yeah. And there was a couple of bits like that that just felt generic music I've chucked on the top of here. Um, not all of it. Some of it was better well, than that. Well, that was it. At the start, it felt really overscored and just like yeah. boring, cheap piano stuff. But then it, as it went on, it, you started getting all this like real prog rock stuff and these electric guitars kicking in. And Yeah, I don't know. There's, um, there's certain scenes. There's a scene near the beginning where this woman basically goes underwater and she's looking for something and, and ends up discovering all sorts of stuff. And it was like, I was really trying to like the scene because it was like, this is cool. She's kind of going into this underwater world. All this underwater footage was Oh, really God, nice. yeah, that was bizarre, yeah. The, the water's kind of milky and murky but, and her movements was really cool. And it just never did anything. And then all it is is like, oh, there's a dead body. Oh, scary. And it's like, <laughs> it just felt like there was so much more there to be, like it was like a glimpse of something that could have been 
really interesting and it never mm. quite got there. I, I think the first point when I really started to come round on this film was it might be the first murder sequence. Yeah. It's a really fantastic scene. Um, the, the, the fuse go, or like the lights and the music cut out um, mm. in the flat, and these two characters oh, yeah. are thinking, oh, what is that? And the guy's like, oh, it'll just be the fuses. I'll, I'll go, you know, flip the circuit board. And then they go out and you hear this crash and then she goes into the room and sort of calls out, you know, what's what's going on? Are you alright? And then he just lunges out of the doorway with a knife through his neck and like blood <laughs> spurting out. And you know, he's like falling on top of her, covering her in blood, she's screaming and it's really like it's that same kind of visceral energy that you got in Suspiria. I think it's done really well, and it's quite an effective... As far as that kind of slasher horror goes, I think it's quite an effective scene. And and it made me realise, um, as much as I hate to say it, I, I really kind of got into that horror movie, slasher movie mentality watching this, where I was so bored when people were talking and in between the killings, but then every time someone got killed, the film just came alive and it was vibrant and exciting. And it's like a really arty farty take on a slasher movie. I wasn't just sat there going like, Oh yeah, brilliant. They're going to stab her eyes out. Amazing. But, but then having said that, there, there's some stuff in this film. Uh, there, there's a scene I can only describe as a woman being bombarded with cats, which <laughs> made me yeah. laugh out loud. It's right. just like, Good okay, laughter. throw the cats. We've got seven <laughs> grips here with yeah. cats. You, you, you know, you know how in a, you know, in the classic horror thing of we need a cat to jump out and startle someone, and they just throw it at her. <laughs> It, it's that dumb, but there's about 15 cats, <laughs> and she's on the floor screaming, and they're just throwing the cats. Like, they obviously didn't have enough cats, cat. because they keep cutting so that they can, they've obviously picked the cats back up so they can do it again. And then there's like a close-up of a cat's face, oh, <laughs> like screaming. It was like, it's like the birds, you know, when she's getting attacked by yeah. birds. And it doesn't even like, like, are those cats the killer's minion, or... Because the cats don't kill her ultimately. Well, it's not explained. It's <laughs> just the cats. Are, the cats. And then a guy and then tries to kill some cats them. and gets eaten by rats. Oh, that uh, was great. That's too. about ten minutes of a man being eaten by rats. The protagonist of this film switched about three times. It kind of starts yeah. with one person, and then it goes to the, her brother or something, and then like to someone else. It was yeah. it, like it was not easy to keep track of what was happening. No. I don't know, for me, I really wasn't enjoying it to begin with, and it kind of started to win me round. It was almost the opposite of Suspiria, where I went into it thinking, this is amazing. And and I, I ultimately kind of ended up at the same sort of um, place as I did with Suspiria, where I think there's a lot to like in this film. It's definitely not as good as Suspiria, but it, it definitely has a lot of the same qualities and... I don't really have much else to say about it, do you? I, I didn't like it and then didn't come to the point where you did, where you found something good in it. So, you know. Well, what, what would you give that one out of ten, then? I give it two out of ten. Ooh! Wow. See, I, I give this one a five again. Not quite as strong a that's, five, but... That's bizarre. <laughs> I think this one did kind of kill the franchise, as it was, for, for 20 years. or Yeah, Mother of Tears finally got put together and released in 2007. Just inherently incredibly different tonally through the fact that it's, you know, shot digitally and and that sort of thing. This is like the plotting of Suspiria with no attempt whatsoever to make it visually engaging or even on an aesthetic level, never mind a metaphorical level. The giallo, like, aesthetic is just out the window. There's no... Yeah, the music's not remotely interesting until you get to the... There's kind of an attempt to make some interesting music with the theme tune at the end, but that just felt like... uh, I uh, assume, is the subject still about, you know, witches and... Yeah, it's it's, it's the third mother. It's it's the mother of tears in in Rome, the third one is. Uh, Mother of tears is a bit different in that the final mother has amassed all these followers, uh, like these witch followers, and they're all descending upon Rome. And they <laughs> and it's it's they're all like basically a imagine like a fifty eight year old man's <laughs> idea of what a punk is, oh, uh, no. and then no. and then like I I mean it's just like oh this is a joke it's taken <laughs> it's got and, 
And um, their plot is they do a load of occult sex games type stuff to somehow (laughs) possess everyone in Rome in a way that's very loosely defined, but means that some people are just kind of randomly attacking other people, but others are unaffected. So the first thing you see is a, a mother pushing her baby in a pram, uh, along a bridge, and then she just picks the baby up and throws it off the bridge. And it again, it's unintentionally really oh, funny dear. because of the way it cuts to a plastic baby that kind of bashes its head on the, the side of the bridge, and then she starts weeping, and it's just just not done very well at all. But this is this is the one that made me think. You know, maybe Dario Argento doesn't know what he's doing <laughs> because yeah. I think this is probably a classic example of a filmmaker not quite realizing why yeah. the thing they've made is good. And yeah. I don't think that Dario yeah. Argento is actually responsible for quite a lot of the stuff that is brilliant about Suspiro. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he is surrounded by artists that he is employed because mm. he trusts them as artists to yeah. have their own sensibilities. Mm. And a film is always a product of a, a huge team of very, very highly trusted people. But in 2007, Dario Argento is this name. No one wants to say... Dario Argento, I think your idea is stupid. Yeah, because he's this yeah, kind it, of godlike it, figure. It does feel like, yeah, the earliest time was a, like a young artist who wasn't yeah. bound by the rules and, and perhaps didn't even know the rules. Whereas yeah. now it's like, oh, I've learned how to make a film now, so that's how I'll do it. Um, yeah, with, with no thought to it. Yeah, and I mean, again, to draw the comparison to George A. Romero, it's it's that exact same thing. It's a horror icon of the sixties, seventies, eighties. Yeah. 80s. yeah then they they are able to go out and make these low-budget films with modern technology, but it just feels horrible and cheap. And there's something... The the, the acting in this film is some of the worst acting I have ever seen in a film, (laughs) ever. In terms of, like, across the board, the (laughs) cast. And, And, I mean... I've seen the odd other thing with Asia Argento. I know she's capable of better. Um, I, I don't know if I've ever seen her give a remarkable performance, but I've seen her give a competent mm. performance before, and mm. this was just this was just awful. Um. <laughs> there's, there's also, I think, I think the whoever funded it, there must have been a discussion like, look, we we need to sell this to a certain demographics. Uh, demographic, Put a monkey so. in it. We need tits. Uh, we need some killings. <laughs> there's definitely a softcore oh, yeah, porn that. element to it. Uh, oh, I, well, that, well, that's the other thing. The 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 gore in this film is really like amped up from the other two, and it, yeah. it's done without any of that poetic artistry. What? When did this come out? Uh, Two thousand and seven. Okay, so yeah, this uh, is what yeah. I imagine Charmed is like. <laughs> I've never seen Charmed, but this is basically what I think of it. This felt like a TV crap TV show. Yeah, what on earth are those presentations of like of women as well? Like, I just mm. yeah, I just can't. Yeah, I, one thing I will say in this film's defense, one positive is Go that um, <laughs> it it really amps the scope of the story up. It really feels like they thought this is the finale, this is the third part. The other two are kind of the same plot. Let's not do the same thing a third time. Let's do a big finale. The entire city's come down with witch possession because of this, you know, evil mother. Now, there's an argument that they couldn't even begin to portray what they wanted to in the film, and it feels very Mm. cheap and small as a result, and they perhaps should have reined it in a bit and made a smaller film that might have worked on the budget, but they had an ambitious scope. I'll, I'll give them that. What would you rate it, Saul? Uh, so this one for me is a two out of ten, and I I don't go that low lightly. That that yeah. is damning for me. I think that's very generous. I gave it a one. Ooh. Wow. There's just no there's no redeeming features to this film whatsoever. So the trilogy went out with a whimper, right? I suppose. Yeah. Well, there's a remake being made. Uh, or has or is basically out, come or, out. Yeah. I think it is out in some territories. Yeah. Uh, I mean that's that's what we're tying this episode in with. There's a there's a remake of Suspiria uh, imminent. I mean I don't I don't know anything about it really apart from the cast, but it is one of those things where if you tidy up the plot, you can. There's a linear plot mm. to be found there. I think that could be there. But I, uh, if you're going to remake Suspiria, do you try and do something experimental well, and visual with it, or do you yeah. just try and make something completely mm. well more mainstream perhaps, but new and make it work? Well, I, I was really excited because I was hoping it was going to be that kind of aesthetic, but with the plot tidied up a bit. But from the sounds of it, it isn't. <laughs> from the sounds of it, it's, uh... I, I, it's, it's quite polarizing reading reviews. It, it seems to be that 
Interesting. It's very uh, visually, musically focused, but not concerned with plot like the yeah. uh, original. I mean, I, I am interested in seeing it. I, I wrote it off as just, oh, like, what's the point? We don't need a remake of that. And then I watched the trailer and I thought, oh, no, this is this has been made yeah. by, like, a real artist. This is clearly, like, yeah. a lot higher end than I was expecting. This is Well, it's, it's directed by the guy who made Call Me By Your Name. Which yeah. is a very intense character study, and that that yeah. sort of gives me a bit of hope. The thing about Suspiria is that if you're just going to make a straightforward horror film, there are better stories yeah. out there. Yeah, there's no like, this is not a good one. If if you want a story <laughs> to build a horror film out <laughs> yeah, of, yeah. this is not the one to do. The only reason why you'd remake Suspiria is to work with the filmic language that you're being offered by Suspiria. Yeah. And yeah. from the trailer, it looks like it was it's going to do that. I'm, watch- I'm watching the trailer right now, actually, as we speak. Um, and obviously, I've got no sound, so I'm just going on visuals. It looks visually quite nice, actually. There's, oh, yeah. yeah. I don't know if it's set in the intense, 70s, but it yeah. looks deliberately yeah. like a 70s I think it look. Is. I think it's supposed to be. The, yeah. the clothes yeah. look 70s. But also, it looks like they're going to do stuff. They're going to make more of the dancing. Like, there's going to be some choreograph yeah. elements that could yeah. be nice. There's, I mean, just judging by the visuals of the trailer, the there's trailer some nice looking stuff yeah. in there. Yeah. Yeah. The thing that really worries me is that it's two and a half hours long, um, and that suggests that they are going to add a lot of new, yeah, there must uh, be more fleshing then, out yeah. of stuff into it. But I don't know that that's a long running time for a you know aesthetic experience. That uh, I don't know. Oh, music by Tom York. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah it's, that's promising. But they, it should have been Johnny Greenwood, really. Like to be honest. I can see that, but I don't know. I think the stuff that's been released sounds amazing. I, mean, I haven't actually yeah. listened to any of it yet. I, I've kind of been holding off until I see it. I mean, the stuff that's been released is not as intense as the Goblin soundtrack, for sure. Mm. I think that it's piano-based, the thing I heard. Right. Um, it's quite repetitive again. Yeah, I think it's it's very Tom York, though. Okay. I mean, it, the, there are vocals in it, so... And it's it's not just like witch, you know. It's yeah. like proper it's, it's proper singing, you know. So I think it's going to add a really different feel to the film. Yeah. I think I think we're really going to see how important the soundtrack is. Yeah. It, it it does. It strikes me as an odd decision to remake this film because if if what you want to get out of it is really striking, intense visuals and you know a really cool soundtrack. Just make a new film. Yeah, just a make a new one. That's... That, yeah, like you, you yeah. could even do. Oh, it's a school of witches, and it, I think that's a broad enough, or not a school. A, it's a ballet school, and there's a witch. You know, I, I think that's a broad enough concept that yeah. you could just say. You know, oh, there's I've definitely taken some influence from Suspiria, but it's its own. But thing. it's obvious that the title Suspiria is going to draw in mm. money, yeah. so that's obviously why. Yeah. So okay, if you guys were given a chance to. Make a remake of Suspiria. How would you do it? Or a sequel? Oh, sequel, yeah. But I think he's so far removed from it now. Yeah. It is like yeah. the remake is the obvious choice. But how? What would you do now that would be that you could do something different? Like, what would you bring to it? I think I definitely draw in on like the folk horror aspect. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like arriving in in a place where someone feels detached from it and you could relate it to like modern issues of immigration and stuff and the mm. issues that people are fe- like feeling being displaced the the immigrant thing is is interesting yeah that sense of displacement mm. and if yeah. you had someone going into a different culture and then you can kind of use though that culture's um history in terms of like whatever their boogeyman is you know every every different culture's got yeah. their own little horror uh, history uh, folklore exactly folklore yeah. yeah um folklore seems to be quite you know related to the nationalistic which which is quite scary sometimes and i think that there are a lot of you know negative ways that folklore can be used in in order to like promote a country and i think drawing in of like you know the horrors of that would be interesting i think there's also um something in the film about the loss of trust in authority figures or rather the, the implicit trust in authority figures that's kind of abused. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's an element which which is in the film, but is not really explored. Um, yeah. If, yeah, if I were oh. to remake the film, I'd kind of make much more of an emphasis on the fact that these authority figures are the people that are supposed to be 
responsible and are supposed to be the ones to go to for help and they're the ones that actually are the people we need to run away from i've just remembered something that i read in the in the original idea for the for the story was that they were children they were like Mm. 11 or 12 or whatever and it was just impractical to do it that way yeah but i think that's that plays much more into the authority figures because when you're a child that teacher is an authority figure and so perhaps making them doing it as yeah younger students plus you know there's a lot there's a great historical tradition of like 13 year old girls being haunted or possessed or whatever this 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 might be a bit too on the nose but you could do especially if you're updating it you could have a building that's full of cameras you know cctv everywhere Mm -hmm. use that as a visual idea in terms of showing security camera footage or whatever like a panopticon or something yeah it's and that's kind of been done i suppose but if you really made a feature of it and 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 yeah it's not the most subtle metaphor for you know big brother is watching but paranoia <laughs> modern paranoia yeah. yeah i think if i were remaking the film one one other thing that i would really want to toy with is the idea of the building itself as evil or as hmm. as a character as a car- as a lab as, mm. as something that is an enemy Mm. Um, and I think the only other film that I think that has done this sort of in a in a way that I think is masterful enough is Monster like House. Shining. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah, so you you said The Shining there, didn't you? Right? The Shining, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I kind of like what one thing I was I think I'm missing in Suspiria is more of the idea that the buildings and themselves are not to be trusted that you, you know because she kind of counts the footsteps and stuff and and she puts a lot of uh, emphasis on that being implicitly true or that implicitly kind of helpful. But what if you count the footsteps, but each time you go around the building, it's a different shape? Then obviously, yeah. you kind I of find got yourself... that feeling anyway. I kind of got a little that bit, a little bit. Feeling. Mm. Yeah, yeah. There are like secret passages and things. Not necessarily giving giving the house a sense of character is probably wrong, but yeah, giving it, making it more, mm. more disorientating. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. What I would do if I was doing this remake is I would get Rob Zombie to direct it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I would attempt the like crossover sequels are a, a big thing. I would attempt the world's first crossover remake, whereby you remake. <laughs> let's let's go with Friday the Thirteenth. Oh no! With the aesthetic sensibilities of Suspiria, and let, let's make that utter trash <laughs> into something <laughs> with a bit of artistic merit. Actually, that would be quite good. Yeah, hire like an amazing cinematographer and just like yeah. really play up the the dreamlike qualities of it. Yeah, you get get someone like Johnny Greenwood or Tom York in mm. to do the music and just just get like really talented people to remake mm. Friday the Thirteenth. <laughs> Thanks for listening, and if you're a fan of cult horror films, then make sure you join us next week for our official Halloween episode, completing our spooky October lineup as we look at the Reanimator franchise. In the meantime, please do go and visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash diminishing returns podcast, where you can get bonus material, such as this week, Sol and I went to see Venom, and we've done a little mini episode reviewing it. And you won't get that on our normal podcast feed, so you have to go to the Facebook page, or you can go to our website, dimreturns.com. So do go and check all that out. See you next week!